0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. If we're not wholeheartedly in our relationship, then we probably are always looking for exit strategies.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: I would suggest you forge more character. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Dr. Matt Townsend. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Leanna Tan, here to give you Matt's best tidbits to help you live healthier, happier lives. Have you ever seen those people who just seem like they are just loving life? They wake up excited to get out of the house and go to work and they're just fascinated by all the possibilities ahead and then come home content and satisfied with their day's work. It sounds like a fairy tale, but I promise there really are people out there like that. These people seem to have a different perspective on life. They seem to have more clarity and drive and ambition. It's as if they know something that other people don't. And in fact, they do. They know what their calling and purpose in life is. Wow. So how did they get there? How did they figure it out? How come some people seem to have figured it out while others are riding at a horrible job they can't seem to get out of? Well, I want to discuss that today. We're going to listen to a fantastic interview with Jeff Thompson about how to find your passion and pursue your life calling. I think this is a universally important topic. So we're going to start out with a little warm-up from Matt. He's going to just ask us a few thought-provoking questions to help us get thinking about our current perspective on life and how we view our purpose.
0: You know, we, we sit on this uh, great big ball of mud flying through space, spinning like crazy, and yet, uh, and, and you know, we can be totally caught up in our jobs. You know what it feels like to... Be worried about the three meetings you have this morning on the way to work. Plus, you got a ball game at night. You don't know how you're going to get there because uh, your wife's got that meeting tonight. And so at times, it's complicated. It's hard. And yet, uh, and we're supposed to now take time and set it aside to figure out who we are, our personality. We're supposed to know what we're like. I'm supposed to go in and figure out if I'm an introvert or an extrovert. And still get to work and get to that meeting and read that report before the meeting. Or I could read it at night, but that's the time I'm supposed to be with my kids. So we are in this tangled world where we have so many conflicted demands on us and um, conflicting demands on us that we want to be closer to our family and yet we are supposed to finish that report. We want to you know, succeed and excel in our job, except so-and-so is always uh, needing my advice at work. And it's not my job to give so-and-so the advice. It's enough to drive you crazy, isn't it? Do you ever just feel like, I can't do this anymore? I am – I'm losing it. I mean, I think that's the universal issue. Carl Jung once said, that which is most personal is most universal – so if you feel stressed out, completely done, you're normal. And maybe one of the things we all could do is just figure out um, some, I don't know what you call it, a, a mantra, but really more just some perspective. What's the default perspective that helps you get back to what you need to do and who you really are? Just the simple idea that, you know what? life is more important than any of this. It's uh, it's more important than the stress I'm feeling, and tomorrow is another day. It's going to get better if we just can get through right now. Don't spend your entire day worrying about tomorrow or even yesterday. Maybe we need to find a way in the moment to get centered and figure out what you are about. So if I asked you, if I brought a a microphone came right up to you and put the microphone in your face and asked you, what is, what is it that you are really about on this earth? What would your answer be? If you are here to become the best possible person you can be, you know, with uh, morals and, and values and love, if that's what you're supposed to be, you need to know that. If you don't have an answer to the question, why are you here on this earth and what is the most important thing you want to become, then you're just going to keep spinning and everything's going to get harder. And saying no will be harder because everyone else will be pushing for their yeses to take place. We all have to take some time and figure out why are we here and what are we really doing? So what is your answer to that? If you don't have one, spend some time today figuring that out. Nietzsche said there's a great, uh, it's easy to say yes, it's easy to say no when there's a deeper yes burning inside. It's easier to say no to people when you know what your yeses are. And if you don't know what your life is about and what your world is about and why you are here and what matters most, then you're going to end up getting out of integrity. And that hurts. So just today, start figuring out the answer to that question. What is the, what is your purpose? What is it that if you're not here to deliver, the rest of us lose out on? Or your family, your friends, your, your people around you would actually lose? Interesting stuff. A little Coach's Corner for you. We'll take a break. Come back. Stick with us. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
1: This is The Matt Townsend Show. I'm really excited about today's topic because I think it's so applicable to everyone, and I feel like I was just jotting down every sentence as I was listening to this interview. So we're going to talk about how to find your calling and purpose in life and how to pursue it. There is actually someone who studies this, believe it or not. His name is Jeff Thompson, and Matt did this interview with him a few years back. In this first part of the interview, he's going to tell us how you achieved this sense of having a calling in life and he's also going to share with us one unique profession of individuals he studied that seem to have a very high level of satisfaction in their work and a great sense of purpose and you might be surprised to hear what this profession is
0: so jeff okay callings and zookeepers (laughs) <laughs> what on earth do they have in common?
2: Well first let me just say your comments about your friend Larry are really telling you use the word revere. Yeah. And there and we do have a sort of reverence around people who had found this passion yeah. about their work. Um, and that's what that's what I like to research. And I'm, I'm a you lucky like to, guy. like to research
0: the passion side.
2: I think my calling is to study calling. Actually. That's great. And I, I just love talking to people whose eyes light up when they talk about their work because mm-hmm. they know they're contributing something. And, and I do. I have a sense of reverence about that. So that's really cool. Thanks. Do you think it's um, – is it –
0: do we just happen upon this or is it something that can actually be
2: focused and intentionally created? Oh, that's a that's a great question. I think probably the best way to answer that is to talk about zookeepers. Yeah, okay, let's get into up. that.
0: Now, by the way, zookeepers.
2: Yeah. What? Why? <laughs> Where? How did you get there? Well, uh it was kind of a whim, Matt. I were mean, you needy? Did you need a sample? We did, yeah. <laughs> my, my co-author, uh, uh, a gentleman named Stuart Bunderson at the University Washington University in St. Louis and I were um, casting about trying to find, figure out who we could talk to that had this sense of passion. And we wanted to find a profession where the, the, the folks didn't make a lot of money, so there wasn't a lot of economic incentives, oh, where there wasn't a lot of chance for upward mobility. In other words, we wanted to find passion its purity. Yeah. Right? You so... didn't want like compensated passion. That's fake. <laughs> exactly, cuz if yeah. you're studying it you want to see it right. in its pure form. And so just sort of on a whim we thought, well, what about zookeepers, you know? We like taking our kids to the zoo and so we started interviewing a couple of zookeepers and it just turned out to be a gold mine. Cuz these folks <laughs> are great. grossly underpaid. Oh yeah. Um, for what They're, they're doing, highly qualified yeah. and well-educated in what they do. They just sacrifice a tremendous amount, but their levels of work satisfaction are off the charts. Are they really? Yeah. <laughs> um, they, I mean, they still have their gripes about sure. work. They this get upset stinks. with management yeah. um, and all of that. But um, when it comes to feeling a sense of deep purpose and meaning in their work, uh, we have never encountered another group that's really? stronger.
0: Isn't that fa- – yeah. You
2: think you'd, do you think you'd uncover more –
0: In like a pure volunteer setting, like, um, I don't know, I just I'm thinking like a nurse, like a a nun, a nurse or, you know, a candy striper that's just Mm -hmm. there to serve. Do
2: you think they would have higher? Yeah. In fact, you know, you're talking about healthcare professions, teaching professions, social work professions. Um, Those sort of helping professions are often characterized by people who have a sense of calling about the work that they do. So you asked what calling is. Yeah. Um, That's really what we studied among zookeepers. They expressed this deep sense of conviction. And so we we studied through interviews and through surveys what that meant to a zookeeper. And there were two uh, really big themes that came out that sort of defined Hmm. um, what a calling was. And the first was hardwiring. Interesting. In other words, these zookeepers felt like they were born to do it. it they were animal people from day one. And so recognizing what they loved was step number one okay. in finding their calling. That's the hardwire. Hardwiring, yeah. And so I, I always talk to – when I talk to students who are struggling to find their calling, um, you know, the first question is, what did you love to do as a kid? Mm-hmm. Because your gifts, your talents, your uniqueness tends to show up early in life, certainly did for the zookeepers. Well, you
0: heard that my son's not going to be a terrorist. Did you hear that?
2: No, I didn't hear yeah, that. Uh, he's
0: nine, and he just basically just came out today and said, Dad, Mom, I just want you to know I'll never be a terrorist. <laughs>
2: Well, so, that's but we're hoping so reassuring.
0: <laughs> I know. We
2: were so worried. So, so worried. I well, checked that off as <laughs> yeah. his, his list of candidates. But What's career.
0: interesting is they were hard- hardwired, I guess, to love the animals. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't... That's just kind of the area. That's right. Because right? they could have been a vet and made a lot of money loving yeah.
2: animals. Yeah. So that brings us to our second okay. theme. What's that one? And the second theme that really came out kind of surprised us as researchers. And we've, we've called it a sense of destiny. Oh, interesting. So they... Uh, very consistently in our interviews, talked about how life just took them where they were supposed to go. They said things like, "Getting this job was luck. You know, it was magical in the way. They, yeah, it was cosmic, and, and that's kind of a hard thing to yeah. uh, analyze as, as a, a researcher. As a researcher, like luck, because it was sort of a, 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 um, a, a almost a supernatural yeah, theory. Versus, yeah. um, but, Ironically, not a single one of the zookeepers we interviewed used religion to justify that. None of them said, God led me here. Yeah. They said, uh, life brought me here. The hand of fate brought me here. So, when we boil those down, a sense of calling is when you um, identify your unique intrinsic passions okay, and you observe the doors that life opens for you and you take advantage of the opportunities that are presented. Ooh, so it's
0: passion and kind of opportunity, destiny combined. Mm-hmm.
2: Hardwiring and destiny are, are two of the main themes. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Um, why?
0: Because
2: it's that's
0: hard. <laughs> so this is hard to
2: replicate. <laughs> it's hard to plan for, and it drives uh, young people crazy when they look ahead and say, "Well, I want to know how to get there." Um, there's this great, and I, I wish we could show a visual here on your radio show, but I saw a blog once that had this little diagram, and it said, success, how others see it. And it had a line from point A to point B. Right. And then next it said, success, how it really happens. And that line from point A to point B is just this squiggle <laughs> All that goes over the place. everywhere. Isn't that true, though? And it, it is true. And it's true of almost everyone I talk to who has found their sense of calling. Most of them, it wasn't linear. Yeah. Certainly hasn't been for me it's a process of discovery it's a process of being true hmm. to your gifts it's a process of having some lousy jobs to help you figure out what you're not right so right so you can figure out yeah, what you are you got to get hit hard enough there were a few times in my career when i thought i was completely lost i'd gone off track you know yeah. i was doing stuff i didn't love uh-huh. but i look back on it now and it kind of all makes sense now don't you think no mine's exact yeah. i
0: wonder i wonder though jeff is it um have you ever like evaluated these people against like personality traits or styles like a little Myers-Briggs like I mean do do certain traits of people are they more inclined to choose destiny and their passion over logic look you may as well be a doctor doctor make money. So so does it tend to be a certain type of personality that's more likely to go finding their
2: calling? Well, I wish I had an answer to that. That's something I'd like to study. That but is we fascinating. We haven't that's done that that's yet. That's complex. I, that too, my, my gut reaction is it, I think that's the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are people who are more likely to embrace this pursuit of right. a calling. Right. Um, but I also think, and this may be overly optimistic, but it's what I believe, I think it's within everyone's capacity to find a sense of purpose in their yeah. work if they're true to what their unique gifts are. I think – and I think it's,
0: it's 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 critical if you want to feel passion. I mean it will save your life. It will save your energy. It will mm-hmm. all of a sudden let everything seem more OK. <laughs> yeah. I,
2: I've lived that. It gets you through your day yeah. when times are tough. Sure. I mean I I had a corporate job for a while – that clearly was not my calling. I did not feel a sense of purpose there. And every day walking through the door was sort of a, a sick feeling. Uh-huh. And when I went home at night, I wasn't the as good of a father or a husband as I think I could have been. It yeah. sort of drained at me. And it, it was important for me to recognize that so I could find a way to move on. Isn't that funny? I was so exhausted
0: the other day. Because you know November's big and I try to get everything done in November so I can relax more in December. And I have a lot of clients I see every day and we had pushed them all. And then I had been sick. So we pushed them all into this week. So last week I was really busy, had a bunch of speeches, had the radio show, all the stuff and was spent and was literally – I had 45 minutes in a snowstorm. This is where I ran into it found out that you can't slide through a roundabout because <laughs> I slide straight and they go around. Um, so in that moment – uh, though I was exhausted on my way to another speech. It will take two more hours, which means I won't get home till 10. And I had a letter card and two boxes of cookies waiting for me at my desk when I came out. Hmm. Dropped off by a client who then talked about how we had – our work together had saved their marriage and now they have four kids that are happy and we're a family.
2: That's payday, and isn't all
0: it? All of a sudden my passions kicks back in yeah. and I'm like, OK whatever and honestly i'm numb with happiness like okay yep then i'll just go tonight we'll do a great little speech change some lives today right here go home be with my family change those lives i mean it
2: totally re energizes. yeah me. you're touching on another aspect of calling now that we might want to explore in a little bit and that is uh, that a calling's only a calling if it's for someone or for something it has to be a service can it not be compensated uh, well, it can be compensated. But it's got to come from the heart. If if the compensation overwhelms the sense of giving, yeah. then it starts to eat away at your sense of calling. Let's do that. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Good stuff. Dr. Jeff Thompson,
0: Brigham Young University Associate Professor. Uh, just... A stud. I don't know what else to call you. <laughs> don't know what else to call you, Jeff. I'm sure that'll look good on your. Oh, boy, you had a nickel for every time I was told <laughs> oh, that. Me too. Me too. We'll be back talking callings and passion right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio.
1: In this segment, he told us that having a sense of calling comes when you identify your unique, intrinsic passions and then take advantage of the opportunities around you. I like how he pointed out, though, that finding success and passion for life isn't a linear journey from point A to point B. It's a process of discovery that takes a lot of twists and turns along the way. So what does it feel like to have found your calling in life? And How do you find your calling when you're stuck at a lousy job? I think that's a huge question in a lot of people's minds. So, in this next part of the interview, Dr. Thompson answers these questions and gives us some more specific tips on how to find our own passion and then empower others within our company or our employees or coworkers to find their passion.
0: So, tell me, Jeff, okay, we were talking about it's uh, passion is two things. No what do we call it calling having your calling in life is two things your heart you're hardwired meaning you are hardwired to do something that's kind of innate it's instinctive to Mm -hmm. you i guess and you feel a sense of destiny kind of a mystical reason why it's just you you Mm -hmm. need to fulfill that is that right
2: Uh, why you need to fulfill it and also uh, a mystical sense that life has opened the right doors for you to get where you are yeah it's almost gratitude it's like it's kind. Of, I guess that's
0: after the fact, but it's anticipating. You're being directed in a way yeah. by some sort of something yep. is leading you there. Yeah, but not necessarily spiritual.
2: Um, well, it can they feel spiritual, mention. but it's not religious, at least mm-hmm. for many people. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: Talk about this. Okay, so if there's an average Joe out there driving truck, let's say. And as he's driving truck, he's sitting here thinking, uh, "Hello, don't feel called." <laughs> mm-hmm. Some do, by the way, and I know they do, and they're passionate about that.
2: And some don't. Um, what are they supposed to do? That's a great question. Um, so the, the big one of the big questions I like to to address is: How do you find your calling if you're stuck in a lousy job? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, and we've all had that where I, I'm. I'm working for a place yeah. that it, it's not me. It doesn't feel right. And you got to pay I, the bills, and I don't know how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, if we go back to the definition of calling, is a sense of hardwiring. When we're in a job that feels lousy, it's not that the it's not necessarily that the job is lousy. It, right. It's that we're a lousy fit. Well, that means that we have to reconnect with our own hardwiring. What is it about us that's that's unique? So. This might sound like unusual advice for people that are in a lousy job. I mean, you know, the yeah. typical advice is, well, quit, find a new job. Well, you know, if you don't have a paycheck, that can be rough. Right. My advice is throw your heart into it. Right. Do what you can at your job to to express your own talents. Right? The way that you understand yes. how you're unique is by excelling and finding out where you can excel so whether you're in a cubicle or in a in a truck or any any position where you feel like you're not expressing your full abilities mm-hmm. find ways to express your uniqueness at work why would you want to leave a job
0: not knowing what your passion is and then go find a job not knowing what your passion is so instead stay in your job and go find go give yourself to it go find a way Go find your passion yeah. then and see. I mean, if that doesn't reignite it, then at least you know what you're passionate about.
2: Well, and the funny thing is sometimes you can't really see it. A lot of times our gifts are so second nature to us yeah. that we don't recognize mm-hmm. we're good at something or we're right. unique at something. But by throwing your heart into the workplace, other people start to say, exactly. wow, well, that guy handles things really different. Uh-huh. You know, that person um it, it is different than the other employees we have that's in so this organization, true. and so that 's how destiny comes into play doors open for people who express their gifts at work because they become attractive like if i 'm a boss and you 're the guy that
0: seems to always be up on the news about the stock market, which is important to our business mm-hmm. then all of a sudden- and you may just normally be whatever but you're you 're the guy that is the go to guy in our department now all of a sudden, I now know I can see your gift. Maybe better than you can. That's right. And then that becomes attractive to me, which may be more promotable, more
2: usable, more advanced. Exactly. And I'm the poster child of this. I mentioned my corporate job where I was unhappy. I did the typical thing. I withdrew into my shell. Uh It was the stupidest thing I could do. I thought I'm going to put my head down, get through this, and then I'll find the job I love. But as I look back on that, there were so many chances for me to grow, for me to reach out to people. Mm -hmm. What I tell students and people who are in jobs they're unhappy with is, is this figure out how you can make the place better. Yeah. Who, who can you serve? Who can you help? And by helping other people, you'll start to reveal to yourself and to others what you have to I offer. Love it. Get it. And, and I guess you're more naturally going right to your core
0: because you're there to serve. You're not there to derive any other benefit, but just lose yourself. And when you lose yourself and what you love, it's going to float to the top. Exactly. And That's then others I'm will start to see it. That's powerful. Yeah. I'm thinking of like a truck driver. I had a truck driver neighbor that was like, I go, do you actually – so do you like driving? And he's like, honestly, hate it. Mm-hmm. But I like learning. And in my truck, I learn a ton because yeah. we're – he listens to book, books on tape all day long. Mm-hmm. And he's so he
2: sees it as his
0: learning time. Yeah. And it's not just paying dues, it's learning. Yeah. Passion. See, I
2: would have a conversation with that gentleman and say, okay, what kind of books do you learn from? Do you, are you starting to see a theme and yeah. a pattern? Because that's going to reveal things uh-huh. about what makes you tick, what your heart degree. And
0: then, yeah, what do you talk to, about, to the, all the other drivers about? Mm-hmm. Exactly. This one likes talking about business. He wants to grow a trucking business, start hiring people. Interesting. <clears throat> so his are a lot about business books. Excellent yeah. stuff. Now, Jeff, tell it, go back because you talked about the money.
2: This uh, companies can't just buy your passion. Tell us about that. You know what? Um, it, it turns out if you do it right, passion is pretty cheap. Yeah. Uh, for the company's perspective. Uh, let me tell you about a little bit of research that I didn't do, but a good friend of mine did at, uh, at, at Wharton uh, a Business School, University of Pennsylvania. Um, he studied a terrible job. It was the job of a of a, a telefund worker, a telefunder, the students who call you up and hey, ask you to you pay money donate? for university, okay, right. right? We get those calls. Well, that job is a hard, hard yeah. job to do. And the turnover is horrible. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, they keep a student maybe for a month or two. <laughs> Very unhappy workers right. calling and begging for money. So he went in and said, what would happen if I took half of these telefund workers and And gave them um, an experience that the other half didn't have. And the experience was this. I'm going to bring in a scholarship recipient, a student, whose money had come directly from the efforts of that telefund. And I'm going to let them have a five-minute conversation with half of those telefund workers. Hmm. So for five minutes, the student sat down and gave a testimonial about how much it meant to to him or her to receive that money. Um, almost immediately there was a huge difference both in the number of calls those wow. workers were making and in their effectiveness they were they approximately doubled their effort Interesting. but they they tripled their the effectiveness output, in getting yeah. in getting money um and they were much happier about their work uh, and so his his research is built on that That's just one example uh, there's this tremendous research that when we have a chance to connect with the people we're helping, yes, that's when what ignites our passion it's and powerful. and so you know you can dangle the bonus, you can right. dangle the no. you know the the special parking space, but when people feel like they're helping someone and there's a face and a name to that person, they can so touch good. them, that changes how we think about what the work does we it do. change?
0: I mean I guess it changes our heart like now it's like I guess that's what passion is right passion is your your heart's
2: in it it's yours it's like you own it you change the ownership of it passion is about giving Um, if you think about I like to use the example of a great artist Mm. so you have a great artist who makes beautiful masterpieces well does she take them and Put them in her attic so she can go up and look at them every now and then. Right? Or does yeah. she want to display them in right. as many galleries and museums as she can? Because the act of creation is also the act of giving. That's and cool. you're you're not an artist until you have uh, people that appreciate what mm-hmm. you give. Work work is the same. We have this universal fundamental need to um, to have our work make a difference somewhere. And so if companies simply connect you. To the impact that you're having and and a sense of giving. Oh yeah, that's like I said, that's a cheap way to increase passion. The um, there's a quote I've heard at a
0: company I worked at that was um, said, "No margin, no mission." And I always like the reverse of that, which was "No mission, no margin." So <laughs> if I if I have my mission, it's easier to just keep the margin going. It's easier to keep being dynamic. It's sometimes we kind of reverse it, don't we? Like, yeah. You know, you, it's great to be all giving, but we got to make a profit here.
2: Well, it, you, you touch on a really interesting thing, and our research revealed some of this. This comes down to a leadership question. We found that, that zookeepers are much happier when their leaders, leaders are minding the books, but the, the zookeepers want the leaders to talk to them about conservation and mission. So leaders have to sort of speak out of both sides of their mouths. Yeah. they mind the books behind closed doors because no mission, no yeah, margin. Yeah, we got to have the we got to have. I mean, no margin, no mission. Right. But when uh, when you're talking to employees, Talk they mission. need to hear mission, mission, mission. It's so that's motivation one on one, isn't it? it well, it, it it is. It's 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 tougher than well, it's a lot <laughs> tougher. And then imagine trying to
0: get a company with thirty thousand people or ten thousand yeah. people on the
2: same yeah.
0: mission. Top. Okay, we're going to come back with Dr. Jeff Thompson. We're talking calling in life. You listen to the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back after this break on BYU Radio.
1: Jeff Thompson really has ingrained his research into himself and he emotes his research findings. You don't come across a lot of people who study how people can find their calling in life, but I think that's awesome and I think that's such a helpful topic. So to recap before the break, Dr. Thompson talked about how you can find your calling and passion in life even if you're stuck at an imperfect or a mundane job, it might not be that your job is lousy, but that it's just not right for you, but maybe searching for a new job right now just isn't plausible. so Dr. Thompson advised that those struggling with this need to reconnect with their hardwiring, find out what your talents are and what makes you unique, and express those in some way at your work. He said that you find out what your strengths are by excelling, and excellence always pays off. And sometimes we don't even notice our own strengths. But if we put our whole heart into our work, then others will notice our strengths and naturally help us to find them. And if your employees feel like they have passion and motivation and calling at their job, the success of your business will skyrocket. I really believe these concepts that Dr. Thompson is teaching us here are true because I remember at one of my first jobs, I was constantly stuck on the position of door greeter. And it was a position that no one else wanted because you just had to stand by the door and feel the drafty wind blow on you every time someone came in and then greet them and ask if they needed help. And all of my other co-workers were always happy and warm inside, serving food and laughing and joking while I was out there, all by my lonesome self. And it seemed like everyone else got to switch positions, but every day I would check the board and see that I was on door greeter again. And finally, one day, instead of concentrating on how cold I was every time someone opened the door or how far away I was from all my other co-workers, I decided to think about what I actually liked about the position. I realized that I was the least lonely of all my coworkers. actually because I got to talk to every single person that came through the door. And I started really trying to get to know them as they came in and enjoying my time and I ended up figuring out why my boss kept putting me there. It wasn't because I was a worse worker than the others just stuck in the corner by myself, but that I was the only one who actually would talk to the customers And he wanted to make a good impression when they first walked through the door. And I may not have found my entire calling in life, but I did feel more purpose in my position, and I realized one of my strengths was talking to people and understanding people, which helped me later on when I decided to study to become a reporter and broadcasting personality. And another thing that really helped me find joy and purpose in that position as door greeter was that I realized the impact it had on others. I realized that I was the one who was supposed to help them understand the menu when they first got in there. People had questions and they would come to me for answers. Sometimes they wanted a special gift for their loved one for a birthday or an anniversary, or sometimes their kid was sick and they needed a hot soup for them, or they were just having a bad day and needed a pick-me-up. And it motivated me to really learn the menu as well as I could to give good suggestions and help each person have a really good experience. And when I saw them having a good time, it helped me feel like I'd fulfilled my purpose, even at this seemingly trivial job. And that's what this last part of the interview is all about. The idea that the way you really find your passion and calling is by finding a cause you can join or a problem you can solve. Because true satisfaction in anything comes from helping and lifting others.
0: Apparently, it's not ideal to have my calling be my job.
2: Well, there are downsides. Yeah, what, what are those? Yeah, and in fact, our our, our study is titled uh, The Double-Edged Sword of Deeply Meaningful Work. Um, and part of the downside, so I mentioned two definitional traits of callings. There's really two big downsides that our research uncovered as well. One of them is sacrifice. Yes. You don't really get a sense of meaning unless you're willing to pay for it. Yes. In the zookeeper's case, you know, they're coming in late hours. They're doing backbreaking work. They're making poverty wages to do what they do. And it smells. It smells really bad. Yeah. And so they, they do some pretty unsavory stuff on the job. But the interesting thing is when we talk to them about that, we expect them to say, even though I make all these sacrifices, this is my calling. What they Hmm. say is, because I make these sacrifices, it's my calling.
0: Oh, interesting! You
2: don't have a calling unless you're willing to give something for it. Right, and giving is part of the meaning. Yeah, and that was a really that was a big light bulb that, that went on went on for us as we were talking to these zookeepers. Their work is an offering, and if it was all pleasure all the time, it wouldn't be as meaningful to them. Isn't that f- interesting?
0: Um, giving is part of the meaning, so it's like you have to. It's almost like your meaning is commensurate to the flesh lost. <laughs> if if you're giving enough, your meaning goes up.
2: Yeah.
0: Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, it doesn't come cheap. It's so, and it's counterintuitive to what we would think it should be like. You know what I mean? Yeah, well— like You think you would reach a point where you no longer need to sacrifice, and now you can just ride the wave of—
2: Yeah. But that's true in my profession as well. I mean, you think the time that I the, – the, the point in my career where I stop taking away my valuable time to help a struggling student, I'm going to lose something yeah. in my sense of purpose for what I'm doing. And we all make sacrifices to, to give the offerings that we give. Well, and that's
0: actually very telling because you happen to be one of the most uh, appreciated professors at BYU on the professor, professor rating is that right? System. I haven't looked at Did that. Did you not know that? <laughs> no. Uh, where are our people that had? They just told me that they've been out looking and they checked you out and you're the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's I don't remember another what the what, present. What's the Thank rating you. system called, Rob? Do you remember?
2: Rate my professor. Rate my
0: professor. We got it. Rate my professor. Yeah, rate my professors. It, they .com. love you, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you. They do.
2: You're the bomb. I think he even gets the little chili pepper. That the chili pepper is the one that means you're hot. <laughs> well, I pay a lot for those ratings. You know, yeah, we have, <laughs> have a little cash on the side. <laughs>
0: yeah, really, though, but that says it because you're willing to sacrifice,
2: which means probably staying late,
0: going to Ghana mm-hmm. for studies, and to take kids probably there for that those kind of uh, graduate student learning. So. It's real, though. So one yeah. key to this is, I guess, one downside is you're going to sacrifice. And yeah. it's probably going to be kind of permanent. I mean, you're going you're to want to constantly be giving more. I, I mean, that, I see it in my job. And I literally, I am so driven and in love with what I do. That it it doesn't feel like sacrifice, but it does to the point that I'm sick and driving with bald tires. Yeah.
2: I think if you have a calling and you're living a calling, you probably always feel behind. Yeah. You always feel overtaxed because oh, you, yeah. you have to get – so there's, there's a downside of sacrifice. And I guess that's
0: the payoff. And yet –
2: no and then family time and other things too yeah what's the other the other one is a sense of moral obligation mm, oh my so, word so so here's here's the thing with zookeepers they they say wow i was born to be an animal person this is my thing to take care of animals yeah. who's going to do it if i don't do if it? i don't do it who will i have to do this job because no one else understands or loves animals as much as I do. Mm-hmm. So if I decide I want to go get a, a cushy job and make more money, it will be a moral failing, not just a career choice. Uh, and they carry this sense of burden true. around. And we found that is pretty consistent with other callings too. When you find what you're good at, you have this moral imperative oh,
0: my heavens. to do it. Yeah, I felt that actually. Like if I don't take these clients on, who will? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had to call police on clients of mine. Yeah. And yet I felt like, really, if I don't help this guy right now with what I know and where he is, then who will? Yeah. How, who's How's the next guy going to figure out what he's got when he hasn't seen the complete meltdown like I have? That's right. Oh, my word. Yeah.
2: So calling is a burden. It is a burden. It's a burden.
0: But, boy, it's not any bigger burden than sitting in a call center wanting to <laughs> die. You know what I mean? That And then – be hoping, I guess, that, you know, I I'm, I guess I'm done in a half hour. Then we'll just
2: go have fun and have my life. Yep. I mean, that's a long life, too. It is a long life, and it's a sort of segmented life. <clears throat> yeah, it is. Yeah,
0: you don't feel like you're integrated. You don't feel whole mm-hmm. or integrity, I guess.
2: Yeah. When I go home now, I mentioned, you know, my corporate period, mm-hmm. not feeling like I was a very good father or husband. And uh, when I go home now, I might be tired, but I'm... I'm energized. I'm yeah. proud. I like talking to my kids yeah. about my work. And there's a seamless connection between my uh-huh. work, the work me and the family me.
0: And don't you think that that's critical for the family? So, I mean, if you grow up not finding your passion or your calling, you end up probably showing kids not maybe to find passion. and calling. I mean, it's good. Like your kids probably revere you because they see you love what... Back to the reverence. I have teenagers. Oh, yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Good point. No, good point. Yeah. That's useless. Uh, Anyway, but your kids, hypothetically, if they weren't teenagers, when they grow out of that- Let's hope. Yeah. They will. But it really is powerful to think that they know that dad just thoroughly loves what he's doing. And to know that you're good at it, like that's such a good lesson. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope they see that passion. Yeah. I want to exemplify that for them. Just take them to rateyourprofessor.com <laughs> and say, look, I've got three chilies. They think I'm hot, kids. Um, that's great. So, Jeff, what do we do? Uh, what are some things we can do, I guess, to identify? You already talked about maybe involve other people. Let other people that might be able to pick out your talents mm-hmm. involve that. What else can we do to find our passion and our destiny, where we're hardwired to do something and our destiny.
2: Yeah. Let, let me start, if I might, by talking about you. You brought in kids. So let me, let me talk a little bit about how you might help your children. And mm-hmm. then i talk about yeah. how you do it for yourself. So anytime you go to a graduation ceremony, you're going to hear a speech of, you know, go out there and do what you love. Yeah. You know, you're the captain of you your destiny. And, That's right. And um, I always cringe a little bit in those talks because they're very self-centered yeah, Go do what you love. Go yeah. do what you want to do. Now, that's important. But the irony is you're more likely to find your passion if you think – if you give your kids advice to say, what can you give? Yeah, Who can you help? That's great. One of the best pieces of advice I got as an MBA student was find a problem to solve. Hmm. Find an issue that you can address. That, that's huge. That felt like a lot of pressure to me. Yeah. But that's the sort of message our children need to think of. If we really want to equip them to find a calling, they need to be thinking about contributing mm-hmm. as much as, if not more than, what makes them happy. Yeah. Turns out those things go together. No, totally. When you're contributing, you're happy.
0: Yeah. And, and it seems like it seems like a backdoor way to find peace faster and to find passion. I mean, everyone tries to go to the front door like, how can I be rich? Mm-hmm. But it seems like if you went through the back door of how can I serve and you get really good at serving, money could come. I mean, there's a lot, I guess, other than zookeepers. But I mean, if you're a zoo owner or if you're a... Uh, habitat for endangered animals, and that's your passion.
2: I mean, you can eventually make a living too. There are people that are very wealthy pursuing that cause. Uh-huh. They end up on television on yeah. Discovery Channel, yep. that but sort like, of thing. But let that be so,
0: let that be the lagging indicator, exactly. And the leading indicator is let me serve the world. Exactly. How yeah. can I make the world better? Can't agree more. Uh, that's the avenue to finding excellence. Isn't that
2: true? Though? And usually, excellence pays off in the long run.
0: It does, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it sure beats like mediocrity. <laughs> <laughs> even though mediocrity is a lot more fun oh, you would know nothing about
2: that Matt. I do
0: I totally do just when it comes to dancing totally mediocre um,
2: what else can we do so uh, the advice and I, I touched on this a little bit but I'm very serious about this I encourage people to think very carefully about their childhood huh because our gifts are surface very early. I have a lot of students come to my office and say, I don't know what I want to do. And I say, what do you like? Well, I like helping people. And I answer, that's not specific enough. Yeah. How do you like helping people? What is it that you do? And when they think back on their childhood, they'll tell me stories like, well, I don't know. I was the kid who would always organize the neighborhood soccer game. Great. Okay. You have an innate gift for collective action. That is you powerful. Know, that and, and it is, but they you usually don't recognize no, that because no. it happens so naturally. Well, you call it collective action. No one would call it that. You know that, yeah. That, well, that's true. You just say, hey, you should be an organizer. You're, you you're an work. organizer. You could, that's you right. You're a community organizer. But that's. That is such a good idea. Yeah. So maybe you were the kid that uh, spun fantastical tales and could hold people in rapt attention. Uh-huh. Well, then you've got a gift for communication and you know pitching a story. That is, yeah. um, did you like to build with Legos? Well, you've got uh-huh. a talent for spatial design. Yeah. and There are a lot of professions where that comes into play. What if you only ate ice cream? Uh, maybe a taste tester or <laughs> a, for, a food for a lab. network.
0: There you it's go. work at the food network. You, know, yeah, you joke
2: about that, but there are people who uh, you know who that exhibit it. a real affinity for food and culinary uh, arts yeah. early on. So there's really almost nothing that happens in your childhood, and recreationally, that doesn't reveal something that's enduring. That is such you. a good. Qu- so, uh, what's the
0: question you asked specifically about your childhood?
2: What? Where did you? Uh, like? How do you? Yeah. Get what there? What did you play? When you didn't have to do anything else, yeah. when it was your choice, what did you spend your time doing? And, and, and there's probably a variety of answers for any individual, right. but they're they're indicative of something that's unique about you.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great. OK, going to the past, I guess you could go to the future, too. If well, you you know if you could see yourself doing anything for the rest of your life, what would that look like?
2: Yeah, absolutely, that's a great question too. And a lot of people just go immediately to retirement. You know, oh, lying on the boat. beach, you know, <laughs> sipping a sipping a drink. Yeah. Well, uh, that's not really. I, I guess the question I <laughs> would ask is again. what what would you like on your on your gravestone? Yeah, you know what? What would you like to be remembered for as a legacy? And answering that question thoughtfully is going to reveal some uniqueness about you as totally. well. For me, I'm a researcher and I am a teacher. Yeah, on my tombstone, I I, I think I want it more about the teaching than not yeah, the research. Even though I love both, uh-huh. I know my calling is rooted the in the classroom. Well, it seems
0: like at a funeral, that's what it ends up being about anyway. Like this, Larry Sager's that is the horticulturist that passed away in Utah that everyone loves. All the stories come back to the people mm-hmm. and the relationships. And the, so in the end, it's all of his giving to people one by one. So, yeah. you know, it's, but it's interesting. We're so prone to the act, aren't we? Like the, what, So what do you do? What's your job that you do? Mm-hmm. But the do may not matter as much as the be mm-hmm. or the who, who you're with.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good insight. That's powerful.
0: That's a great um, – it's a great question you ask about the future. There's a lot. By the way, all these answers are in them, right? They know.
2: It's a self-revelation. I mean, uh-huh. as you, it, it, it's sort of we think we know until we take the time mm-hmm. to really, in a disciplined way, force ourselves to think through that. And uh, I encourage people to just sort of do free journaling yeah. and, and writing their ideas um, because they, they tend to pop out of you and you don't recognize mm-hmm. them until you see them.
0: So if, you, if you're if you sitting out there driving a truck, sitting in a call center or whatever, mm-hmm. or whatever you're doing, and you're not loving it, you're saying take some time to go be real with yourself and ask some questions. Yep. Think about your childhood. What did you used to love to do? Think about your future. Mm-hmm. What else? Anything else they should be doing?
2: Courage. I mean, there does come a point, um, uh, you know, particularly if you're in an organization where you are feeling stuck, you, you know, you throw your heart into it and you're the best fill in the blank that you can be. Uh, But there there may come a point when you have to say, "Okay, it's time for me to jump. You know, Uh, life is short. We only get one of them. And uh, even if there are uh, risks associated with it, some of the most satisfying Life events comes with the oh, courage yeah. of just saying, OK, I'm going to I'm going to try something different now I'll, I'll, in I'm consultation with, right. you know, your, your family, right. and the people your who banker, are depending upon your you.
0: credit card holder. Exactly. Everybody needs to be involved in that. <laughs> it's interesting because, too, and sometimes and don't either or it, I guess, too, where you think you have to jump because you could probably create a runway. While at yes. your other work, like you're yeah. saying, go start serving. Go get into
2: it. Go start being good at what you're good at, and maybe use that as a segue yeah. out. Another another way to do that, um, actually, some some other colleagues of mine have written about how you deal with a missed calling. If you figure out, ah, oh, I'm a teacher, but I should have been yeah. a musician, yeah. and they tell all these great stories about people that bring their calling, their desired calling, into their work. Interesting. So I'm thinking of a of a teacher that would. You know, wishes he was a, a, a musician. musician and he starts bringing music into the classroom and teaching yeah. through music. And, you know, that may lead uh-huh. to a different sort of career or it may just be a way for him to express his excellence. That's right. At and, his work. And find the passion yeah. in that space. You know, Matt, I'm not sure that there's a perfect job for everybody. No. Um, I think many of us are going to spend our lives in imperfect jobs with imperfect organizations, but that doesn't mean you can't find your calling. Your calling, if we go back to the definition, it's bringing your unique gifts Mm -hmm. to service. And so if you can find a unique way to do that in an imperfect organization, you can enhance your sense of purpose even if you're not living in an ideal world. Oh, man. You know a lot.
0: You are good, <laughs> well, Jeffrey Thompson. Uh, Jeff, you. where do you want to get? Where do you want them to find you? Now, this may not be a good idea, so be very
2: careful. Oh no! Actually, um, I, um, I, I I keep a blog on this topic. Oh I'm, good. I, where? my co-author and I are working on uh, on writing some books, so uh, you can find my work at uh, yourlifecalling.blogspot.com. And I've got a lot of stories in there of people we've interviewed. We interviewed uh, the the Bear Whisperer, who's on Animal Planet. We've oh, is he still alive? Uh, uh, he he is <laughs> whispering thriving. to a bear. <laughs> he is has he? never been injured by a bear. Oh my heavens! Yeah, um, spoke with uh, uh, a couple of authors who've written about unique experiences. So it's it's That's a fun powerful. blog, and uh, that will link you into some of the other work that I've done.
0: Your Life Calling dot That's correct. And Dr. Jeff Thompson's his name. He again is a stud and a birthday boy, and so appreciate you being here, Jeff. Thanks Seriously, so much, man. Love I enjoyed having it. you. Yeah, we're, we're having you back. I don't care. Again, I don't care if you <laughs> want to. You're coming back. It's my I favorite it. hour. And because Sky just looks at me like, "Quit talking. Let's go to break." <laughs> I'm on kind. it, Sky. Sky, we're in our callings over here. Okay. <laughs> Did you hear Sky's calling is to just push the buttons on the board for the rest of his life? <laughs> Whatever That's makes what I love him happy. To do. It's yeah. You can almost hear the enthusiasm. <laughs>
1: some really sage advice from Matt and Dr. Jeff Thompson. I love how they taught us that you can't get a sense of calling and purpose without sacrifice. And that purpose comes when you bring your unique gifts to service. That is so true. I have felt that time and time again. And if any of your employees or coworkers feel that they cannot contribute their talents then something is probably misaligned and something needs to change to be able to open the pathways for them to contribute their natural passions and abilities. Well, thanks for listening to today's episode, everyone. Remember what Dr. Thompson said at the beginning of today's interview, that it's within everyone's capacity to find their own calling and purpose if they know what their unique gifts are. So don't think you're too young or too old or not creative enough or not this or that everyone has a purpose and something to contribute to the greater good so let's all explore our talents a little more and put our passions to the service of others I'm Leanna Tan bringing you the best tidbits to help you live healthier happier lives join me again next time for another episode of Matt Townsend